This is The Naturalist. In every podcast episode, we're going to highlight the products, ideas, trends that are shaping the CPG industry. Or that we just really like. I I, I don't try to be bold, but I try to be authentic. And, and I think it's important to believe in what you say and, and genuinely feel it in your bones. And so I think that might come across as bold or, or visionary. But um, I think it's because it's authentic. I, a lot of the challenges and problems that we're solving are challenges and problems that I've experienced myself as a millennial mom of three little girls. Um, and so I, I like to take that into how, how, not only how we run the company, but how we treat our employees, our parental leave, all the policies that we have. Um, it, I think it's a kind of a more of a human approach. The, the word, I mean, I guess we could be closer bold, but I, I'm with you, it's being authentic. Um, my, one of my other uh, favorite quotes is from Roosevelt. It's about being the man or woman in the arena. It's about being there and fighting and not being a spectator who's commenting. Oh, interesting, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, yeah I have chills, like the whole way driving to work. I was just goosebumps all over my body. And then you got here and just in a dark room for an hour. Yeah, and more no, goosebumps. No, more goosebumps, but just because it's cold in here. It is cold, but I'm so excited because we're back in person. Yeah. We had a small hiatus, a little bit of summer. Summertime. Activities, a little bit of vacation. Yeah, we're back. We're back. It's really nice to be here. Nice to see you. We're close. We're bumping elbows. Yeah, we are. Elbows. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you just got back, too, from a trip. I did, yeah. So I was at NBJ Summit. Nutrition Business Journal has a summit, NBJ Summit, which is a really great event for executives in the dietary supplement and nutrition industry. And it's really cool because it has companies from across the entire supply chain. So you have these really great ingredient suppliers, manufacturers, as well as manufacturers of finished products. So you get to see really like how the sausage is made in the dietary supplement industry. How the plant-based sausage How the plant-based uh, protein supplement is made <laughs> in the <laughs> in the nutrition industry. It's one of my favorite events of the year. It's a pretty intimate event. Everyone's having the same experiences throughout. So everyone attends the conference programming. Then there's networking events and shared dinners. So everyone is at everything, which is something that's really cool about it. And certainly everyone is aligned in their mission to to create a quality supplement industry. That's great. And and I have heard a lot of people talking this year about, you know, going back to, to a little bit what we were talking about before, how many women were at NBJ Summit this year? Yes. Yeah. So we've seen a huge increase in the number of women at the summit. That's been really important to Carlotta Mast, who has been the co-chair of the summit, and to Tom Arts as well, and really the whole team. And I think this year we were at 34% women attendees. And more than half of the presenters and people on the stage were women as well. So it really just shows that there's, you know, a lot more equity and um, gender parity in the dietary supplement industry, but to see that really coming to life at the at the event is really important. It's such an important voice in this space. You know, we've talked a lot about um, a big rising trend is, of course, the women's health movement. We had a podcast. We had that great interview with Jess from Winged Wellness. Um, did you were there a lot of women at the summit that were also representing women's health companies? Yes, health centric companies. Yes, and I know we'll have an excerpt from this in the podcast, but. My closing panel was with two powerhouse women in the supplement industry, so definitely a lot of perspectives from women leaders. But to your point, there were so many people there talking about women's health and how the supplement industry is addressing the unique needs of women in a very authentic way, in a science-backed way. And that was huge. I would say that was one of the top predictions that came out of NBJ Summit this year was that women's health will continue to be a real bright spot for the dietary supplement industry. And all these different solutions that are entering the market are are really spot on in terms of addressing those women's needs. So from, you know, things we've talked about, everything from menopause to fertility to, you know, the libido, libido, anything relating to, to hormonal health. So the supplement industry is definitely stepping up there. That's great. And I know just because we've been preparing a lot for Expo East here, really talking about our trends, some of the products we're going to see at Expo East, also looking at some of these great Nexty products we've had 
And I know that women's health products are going to be big at the show as well. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just sent you that article, too, in Fast Company, which was really cool because I'm seeing a lot more mainstream media coverage about this movement, uh, menopause in particular. Did you Have you gotten a chance to kind of look at it? I, I just sent it to you. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, though. It's kind of like this new look feel and, and identity behind these products that are entering market from, you know, like wearables. And I, I just really want to talk about my wearables. Let's talk about your wearable. <laughs> I'm wearing my Fitbit again for the first time in it's months. Really cute, too. Thanks. It's dainty. It's a dainty it's little dainty. number. Yeah. And I'm wearing it. And I, uh, I'm just really excited to get back on track with my steps because if I, I, who even cares if you're not wearing the Fitbit to track it? But I mainly wear it for my sleep. So when we did our women's health episode of this, we talked about how women's health is intersecting with all these other issues, stress and sleep and and, and, and the list goes on mental health. And so I think that like um, intersection of all these different health issues kind of is at the heart of the, the women's health movement is thinking a lot more holistically. And of course, just what the dietary supplement industry is is doing. So tangent but hopefully bringing it back in all i could think about was i'm actually going to stop wearing my step counter because when i was in spain this summer it was like thirty thousand steps a day and now i'm back down to like 100 <laughs> oh, I know. it's too depressing <laughs> <They're getting laughs> off. okay so um i mentioned expo east i know yes. there's a big supplement event happening at expo east do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely thanks for bringing it back in adrian so we have our supplement symposium at Expo East. That will be Thursday morning starting at 7.30. Well, I think a little before starting at 7.15, we'll have breakfast. We invite the community to come and really have this two and a half hour time and space to talk about what's happening in the supplement industry. As part of that, we'll get all of the data from NBJ and SPINS, which the, I know the community loves to have that data you know, the supplement industry growth has slowed. We saw this huge uptick in 2020 around the pandemic. Then we saw some slowing of growth last year, but now we're starting to get more optimistic about it. And it's just kind of rethinking what growth really is. And so we'll be able to dig into some of those numbers of, you know, looking at bright spots within the space, women's health and other areas, as well as just what the future holds for the dietary supplement industry. We'll have a retail and executive panel where we'll talk about some of those retail issues, such as the counterfeiting that a lot of companies are experiencing on Amazon, which is a big issue for the supplement industry. So really keeping quality top of mind channel strategy, how brands should be approaching their channel strategy, how retailers should be thinking about identifying innovations to bring into their store and what their customers need. So as you can tell, we're going to be talking about a lot of dietary supplement issues that are top of mind for both brands and retailers. And we have an awesome keynote that's part of the supplement symposium. Do you know who it is? I do, and I'm so excited. Who is it? Paul Stamet. Paul Stamet. He has a, a great voice. Did I pronounce it wrong? Yeah. No, you oh. pr pronounced it spot on, and singing it just oh. made it that much more powerful. <laughs> Did I sing it? <laughs> you sang it. It's a name you have to sing because he is really just doing so much great work in in the supplement industry, specifically in mycelium. We talked a lot about mycelium and mycology at MBJ Summit, and we'll be able to dig into that at Expo East as well. So the mushroom world is just fascinating. Did you know, I just found this out, that Pennsylvania, home of Expo East, produces 70% of all mushrooms produced in the United States? I did not know that. All the more reason why it's going to be a great celebration great. early this year. <laughs> Direct correlation. <laughs> So before we jump into the interview, I do just want to speak to the the overarching trend or theme of NBJ Summit, which was just about being agile. So the importance of agility in times of uncertainty. So we were able to hear from lots of different leaders from across the industry. Wisdom that will be good for any business leader who's listening to this podcast as we recap the event during the the panel that you'll hear. But really just how do you navigate all of these issues from 
science and what does that really mean to your business and to consumers? What are consumers demanding now that they weren't asking for before? And how do you approach things like AI and technology in your business? All of these things can be a little bit scary, but they also present really great opportunities. Great. I love that topic, and I, I can't wait to hear what they had to say about it. Let's hear. During this panel, I spoke with Pauline Thorogood, co-founder and executive chair of Radical Science, and Kat Schneider, founder and CEO of Ritual. This was the closing panel of the summit where we really got to recap all of the great insights that emerged over those three days. Thank you both so much. And we know that agility is something that is a daily practice. It's not something that we should just be thinking about three days of the year here at NBJ Summit, but really building into our business practices. You two are such great examples of that, fearless in how agile you are. So let's start with just a little bit about your background. Erica, yesterday, one of our keynotes talked about the need to build relationships and collaborations in order to achieve big things. Now, you're both achieving big things. I want to hear a little bit. I think we all want to hear a little bit about what one big thing that you're trying to do with your company is and how you got here. So, Kat, why don't we start with you? Sounds good. Thanks for having me. So, Ritual is a health technology company that is setting a new standard in the supplement industry through traceable science and traceable sourcing. I was four months pregnant when I started Ritual, and I couldn't find a prenatal vitamin that I trusted, one that was both clinically backed and then also had a traceable supply chain. And I knew that we deserved better, not just around prenatal health, but for future generations and set out to really change the supplement industry. Thank you so much, Kat. As you know, I'm a big fan personally and professionally. Subscribe to the prenatals that come to my house every month. Now you can get them at Whole Foods. We'll talk a little bit about that evolution of your distribution strategy in a bit. Aileen. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Radical Science uh, Health Tech B Corp. Um, we are on a mission to provide the um, um, easiest and most affordable path to clinical proof for supplements. We do, do, we do that by productizing clinical proof generation, including double blinding, placebo control, IRB, uh, randomization, et cetera, leveraging an AI-driven tech platform. It's a lot of words, I know, but basically bringing in the best science and best technology to be able to deliver clinical proof at unprecedented speed, scale, and affordability. That's what we're doing. Thank you, Pauline. And you know, when I first discovered you, I was just like a magnet drawn to your purpose and mission and everything that you're doing. So I want to start with you, Pauline, and talk a little bit about a complex nature of it and how many applications there are for the nutrition industry of generative AI, AI tools that are out there. Haleen, what do you think people here should walk away with around the use of AI for dietary supplements and nutrition? I mean, it's obviously, it could be a panel or an entire session on its own. And I love the fact that we started with the everyday usage, which, you know, exploded with uh, ChatGPT, what became the fastest uh, adopted application of all time with 100 million users in just a couple of months. And it made everything so simple because it's, it gives us V1 for content and advertising and A-B testing. Our kids use it probably better than we do. So it's very powerful. But also you realize how fast it's evolving. It's already had been gone through many, many iterations. And that's only one kind of AI. We've been using AI for, you know, you know, from the beginning at Radical Science, I've been using different models, machine learning, et cetera, for most of my career. So this stuff has been around. The thing about AI is it's incredibly powerful and it's moving so fast. We are truly living in exponential times in terms of its power. So incredible usage for marketing. Social listening, you know, generative AI for coming up with a bunch of ABC testing of uh, what's going to work for your customers. Amazing tool for customer success. But as Nora talked about, it's also very, very powerful for product development and for new, finding new ingredients um, and uh, really putting together more personalization. We're not there yet, but the thing is the data sets are growing. And the beautiful thing about AI is it's what we need to deal with very, very large scale data as an 
all of us human data, but also has high dimensionality. It's not like, oh, let's get some gender and demographic information. We have so much about us. I mean, genetics, epigenetics, our EHR data, wearable data, all this stuff exists. And the only way to study that is with AI. And it's getting more powerful every second. So that's key. I know you wanted me to talk about a little bit of privacy. If you want, I can give some tidbits. Otherwise, we can just... Yeah, I, let's touch on it briefly. What is the value of intellectual property at companies? IP is very, very important to dietary supplement companies. And the reality is that AI has an IP problem. Read all about it. I'm sure you have. There's a real challenge there, and it's definitely a legal gray area that we're still figuring out. So what do you think that means for this space? Well, I will focus on chat GPT and the privacy issues there, because again, AI is a very big word, right? So um, I don't know how many of you guys realize, but um, anything you put into GPT in terms of your queries is actually used by GPT to train it. I mean, that's how AI works. You need to do it. But that means everything you ask is out there. You can turn it off using settings. So I do. Um, maybe it doesn't learn from my data, but I'm okay with that. Another way to actually work with some of these very powerful large language models and other AI systems is using an API, and not, not the kind that we are used to, uh, but the, it's called a tech term application uh, programming interface, so that you're able to talk through it. And with security layers, et cetera, you can maintain privacy. So there are ways to do it. Um, that's, you know, given it's been a few years since I graduated, now I like, definitely ask the younger guys how to do it, but it's doable. And I definitely highly recommend talking to your tech people to make sure you take care of that. It's really important. So thank you, Paleen. One challenge. Obviously, we could keep going down the AI path. We'll stop with that for now. Well, not for right now. So I will say one other thing that will transition into a question to you, Kat, is that, you know, you touched on Paleen, all of the different applications, one of which is personalization and really understanding your customer. So let's talk about that idea of getting close to your consumer. We just met recently, but I feel like you know me because I feel like Ritual knows me and serves up exactly what I want and where I want it. How have you done that? How have you gotten so close to your consumers? So when we started the company, I was told that you actually can't build trust online. There's no way we should start a company 100% direct to consumer, but there was so much information and at our company, we, sell, we say internally is that we're not selling transparent products, we're selling transparent information. And that was so core to the essence and the, the mission of Ritual that our products had so many layers. We share every single one of our suppliers. We're 100% traceable so you can see the final destination manufacturing and the supplier for every single one of our products because people deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. And we even went even further with a certificate of traceability tool where people can see the sustainability of the packaging, the test results that we have, the third-party testing results, and the traceability. And that helped us earn the trust of hundreds of thousands of people, mostly women, during some of the most vulnerable stages of their lives. And as we've talked earlier, we've evolved to being an omni-channel brand, but we have this, we call them a think tank of hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And we survey them when we're thinking of, of potentially creating a new product on the innovation side. Um, a good example of this is we recently, in the last year, launched our Symbiotic product, which is a pre-pro postbiotic for gut health in one single capsule. Most successful launch to date, and part of that was just surveying our customers. And then also, after we launched, we surveyed them and, and had about 800 people and tried to and create a 98-page report <laughs> to analyze what, what's going well? How do we iterate on the experience? How do we iterate on, on the product? And that product now has tens of thousands, tens of millions of dollars in, in revenue within one year. Wow. So it's really a constantly evolving process of listening, learning, making adjustments, raising the bar, making commitments. And that in itself is, is a very vulnerable process, right? Is that scary sometimes? It's scary. It's exciting. It also helps us evolve our marketing. We recently launched a campaign uh, that was entitled for the real bodybuilders. And we saw that 4% of our subscribers said that they felt seen or heard by media when they were trying to conceive. 70% of them were going through challenges, whether it was infertility, miscarriages, or other unforeseen challenges. And we were really the first brand to show in mainstream media what it was actually like trying to conceive from, from miscarriages to IVF. People were in tears seeing our advertising. And that all 
came from actually deeply listening and connecting with this, what we call think tank. Yeah, that's a really amazing campaign. You told me about it a little bit before and then I saw it and it, it definitely moved me. So I think that level of authenticity and representation in your marketing is really, it really stands out. Eileen, I know so much of your model is built around representation, democratization of clinical studies, but making sure that those clinical studies are truly representative of the population. So you kind of come at that representation piece from a different and equally important angle. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, one of the things I noticed uh, when I was funding clinical trials was that we were mostly, especially using the old physical uh, clinical trial infrastructure, Mostly white men living in urban areas. Uh, that's data from the FDA. And while that's fantastic for those groups, data by itself is not generalizable to the other populations if we haven't studied them. And it's not even about we got to take care of women, we got to take care of ethnicities, which we do. But the point is, if we don't study the entire population, we're actually not doing right by, uh, you know, healthcare policy, public policy. So. The point is, this actually affects all of us, both from a healthcare perspective, as well as has massive financial repercussions. So at Radical Science, we ensure, first of all, very large-scale clinical trials. Our smallest clinical trial is a two-arm, 700-person trial, which ensures gender parity, ethnicity representation, rural populations. And we also collect a lot of behavioral data because it's not just demographics that actually determine diversity. It's also our behavioral habits from coffee drinking to alcohol to exercise. All of this stuff will affect how we respond to different products. So we want to make sure we collect that data uh, to be able to ensure we understand. And leveraging AI, we're able to actually then understand which of those are predictive of something working for you or not working for you. So on a path to personalization. Uh, the more data sets you collect, the more you're able to actually respond to that. Helps with the individual, helps with public policy, which is really, really important. Do you feel that this is something that is enough of a focus for the industry right now? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's clearly a far more awareness. I'm very impressed that this year so much more focus on all of those elements. And again, for all the right reasons. It's not like, oh, let's have women or it's like, the fact that our data helps all of us. So I think there's a lot more awareness. Now we have to have more action. So I'll give you a harder question than you answered it very well. Thank you, Philly. <laughs> okay, everyone's been talking about we have to lean into science. We have to lean into science. I think we heard that phrase, you know, countless times here at NBJ Summit. What what is science? What does that mean and what should it mean from your point of view? From, from our point of view at Ritual, we tell our customers to not just take our word for it. We want to show them the proof. And I think very similar philosophies across our companies, which is why we bonded so well, um, was just the importance of clinical studies for every single one of our products. In our industry, the term clinically studied is loosely defined, which is why it's part of our advocacy roadmap and why... We've committed to having human clinical studies peer-reviewed and published on every single one of our products by 2030. That's not, not a requirement. And oftentimes you have companies in the industry that are using clinically studied ingredients. We were just talking about this, but not in clinically studied dosages. And they're, they aren't studying the, the complexity and the entirety of the product in humans. And I think earlier to your point, what we've seen, and it's devastating, it's what drives me is just how underserved women's health is, the research in women's health, the, the populations that have been studied in, in, in clinical studies. When you look at NIH, it's like less than 10%. And less than 2% of funding goes to female-founded companies on the VC side. So we're seeing gaps in research, gaps in innovation in areas like pregnancy and areas like postpartum, menopause. These are not niche areas for women's health. We make up more than half the population. And yet some of these critical life stages are completely underserved. And it's been exciting. Completely agree. It's been very exciting to hear all of the conversations here at NBJ Summit about women's health. We're seeing so many more products that are really understanding the needs of women. It's where Claire is going to be investing a million dollars, she said on a panel earlier this week. And uh, it's just come up a lot as one of the areas of the greatest opportunity. So let's talk about some other areas of opportunity. I think Tom's big three was 
uh, AI, mushrooms, and peptides for this industry. Kayleen, based on what you've heard here this week, has it changed your thinking around potentially like an untapped opportunity for well, I agree that everything, those are all correct, but they're somewhat tools. I feel like what I heard here was we need to lean into science because we need consumer trust and loyalty. We need to have, you know, we, you know, we talked about all the growth numbers, right? Well, the supplement industry is 61 billion per Claire this week, um, and this pharma market is 600 billion. And um, one of the main differences, proof and science behind pharmaceuticals. How, I'm not suggesting we're gonna go from 60 to 600 billion, but I feel like there's a huge room to grow with proof, with clinical proof and personalization. And given AI is enabling drug development and personalization, they are moving fast. I am worried that we're going to be left behind. And it's really important for us to validate products and show proof and also start moving towards that personalization because that's what's important. We are not all the same. I think the big opportunity is around sustainability and something we were talking about last night. As a certified B Corp, both of our companies are something we're really proud of. There, this industry is so focused on health and science, but we've kind of been asleep at the wheel of, during one of the biggest health threats of our, of our generation, of our time, which is climate change. And so I think it's our responsibility to, to act quickly and to act in a scientific way. We talk about science when it comes to clinical studies, but we don't often talk about science when it comes to sustainability. Uh, that's why, as a business, we've set scientific targets when it comes to climate change and, and recently rolled those out with 100% traceability, which we have 100% traceable, uh, sustainable packaging. And we recently partnered with Planet Forward, Julia, wherever you are, incredible company that actually measured all of our life cycle assessments on every single one of our pub products so we can better assess the carbon impact and what we should do, not just offsets, but what we should do to actually further reduce our carbon impact as an organization. And then lastly, we have a target of net zero by 2030. And I think this is really important, especially as we're so focused on health, that having a scientific approach to how we approach sustainability is the future for this industry. And have there been, you're doing so much great work around sustainability. Have, you, have there been areas where you just haven't been able to get past a roadblock where you really need more collaboration? What are some of the greatest challenges in building out a sustainability roadmap? I think the greatest challenges are also the greatest opportunities. Maybe I'm much too much of an optimist, but our, our business has been always rooted in, in traceability. What we've seen is less than 6% of companies overall have traceable supply chains. And that is also a really incredible threat, an incredible challenge because consumers obviously need to earn our trust. I mean, we need to earn consumers' trust in how can they trust this one? A lot of times we don't know where our ingredients are coming from, how they're made. And that is the biggest opportunity for us. We saw this in, in plant-based proteins. We saw that plant-based proteins were notoriously high in heavy metals. People think they're doing something good for their body by consuming plant-based, but then a lot of the proteins are grown overseas. And there's no protective health protective measures when it comes to heavy metals. So what we did was that we actually listed our heavy metal results for protein online. Again, kind of why traceability is important, but also why it's a challenge. It's very difficult sometimes to get information from suppliers, manufacturers on the detailed level of sourcing of materials, but that is what is key. Uh, we also have seen that certain regions are high risk for child labor and other issues, and that is a really big theme. I think that's, that's going to continue. Jessica, I would, that was awesome. And that's certainly not an area um, we do, but we are fully committed to it as well. But I want to go back to science on a another point because of a session that really piqued my interest yesterday, which was around mushrooms. Um, obviously, one of the bright spots talking about opportunity and there are other areas that are huge opportunities. And one of the speakers talked about that how consumers are you know, still experimenting. They're finicky. So uh, they don't know what, how much they need to take dosage products, what for what conditions. So education is super important, but education via science. And, um, you know, part of my clinical trial research or funding earlier on before radical science was around cannabinoids. And we saw what happened to that market. I mean, it was what was supposed to explode to billions of dollars. And now it's, it's somewhat legitimate ingredient. It changed quite a bit. 
because we didn't have enough science behind it. Part of it was federal regulations. But what I want to make sure is all of these bright spots are then supported by science so that the consumers are, know what to get and they're excited about it. And then those actually can explode the way they have the potential to versus flatline. So again, back to proof, a lot of great opportunities. Let's provide proof to consumers who are looking for it. Absolutely, Kayleen, and, and you all are a part of our Inside the Bottle program, which is so much focused on many of these topics. Another piece of this, of course, is the education, the education around the science, what that really means. And we've talked a lot about kind of the different tailored messages that are necessary to different audiences. So you're in a position where you're wanting to educate multiple audiences, right? Whether it's the practitioner space, the retail space, the brands, the consumers. How do you think about customizing, you know, let's take personalization of products out of it, but customizing a message so that that scientific message makes sense to different audiences? Well, like with any kind of messaging, first you need to understand your audience, right? Because otherwise you're who you're talking to. So um, this is actually going to get published in Inside a Bottle in a few weeks, but we did a, an amazing research project with UC San Diego, um, a market research on consumer perceptions. And, you know, you're noticing that people don't even fully understand scientifically or clinically proven. There's a lot of education that's necessary, but those who do appear to understand based on the questions are willing to buy them and willing to pay more for them. So let's actually educate them because as they get educated, they're making better decisions. Otherwise, they are lost and they're they don't trust it. And unfortunately, in the case of healthcare providers, I think we all know when we go to our doctor, they don't even ask about the supplements we take, or if they do, they don't do anything with that information. How do we elevate that message? How do we give them the kind of proof that they've gotten from pharma that they prescribe to us so they're more able to look at it as a more holistic way of providing wellness, as well as dealing with some very interesting sick care elements that pharma is very good for? Again, it's a world of and. You know, I'm not trying to have one versus the other. I want to make sure all of them have our legitimacy in the eyes of each of the stakeholders, including retailers and insurance, as well as healthcare providers. Absolutely. And Kat, I'd love your perspective on this because you started direct to consumer. Now I'm strolling through Whole Foods. I do like a double take because I see ritual there on shelf. What has that education of the retailer been like for you? So it's been really exciting. Within the last year, we launched in Whole Foods, Amazon, and in Target nationwide. And it's been really exciting because, you know, we started online because of wanting to go really deep around the science and the traceability of our products. And, you know, we list all the suppliers on our site. We list all the, the final destinations of manufacturing. We could see, you could actually see how many people were in our clinical study and how it was conducted and where. Uh, and all the details on the site. And so going to shelf was a, a, a new challenge for us because you have limited space. But what we saw was people were literally buying into the vision. They're buying into the vision of traceability. And it's been really exciting because we it's not enough to just provide transparent information. We actually need to be everywhere that our customers are. And that's allowed us to do that. I would say Whole Foods has been a really terrific partner because it's an advised channel. We had the privilege of educating the people working there. And, and I did a webinar where I was telling them about the product. And I think that's a really rare, unique opportunity where people working there can actually understand what goes into the product and what makes it special. So let's let's go back to, you know, we were talking about predictions, we were talking about opportunities. And I think one of the really like more tactical pieces of information that people want is how do I know? How do I know? And, and I was saying earlier, sometimes data people actually get mad at me for my crystal ball question because they're like, you can't predict the future. Um, but I do want to, before we go into some kind of desires for the future, I first want to know, like, what is your process for trying to predict what's around the corner? Start with you, Kayleen. Uh, I mean, again, back to listening. I think that's the best way to predict anything. I mean, AI does it by listening everything across the board as humans. I mean, we may not be as efficient, but I think we need to listen. We need to use all the tools at our hand. Market research. I love getting the, whether it's MBJ or ITB, like the market research we get. That's why we partner with universities to do research. Understanding consumers, understanding all the other stakeholders is absolutely what's required. As well as, you know, at spins data, that's been super valuable. And then also pattern recognition at the end of the day, like, okay, what do those pieces mean together? So, you know, things, seeing things like 
oh, a beautiful within is, you know, getting to be very hot. Oh, by the way, that's a lot of vitamin C usage. Some of the ex existing products that have now found new homes, what does this mean? Maybe we're realizing a single ingredient may have multiple benefits because, I mean, our body is pretty well connected. You know, what affects stress and sleep will also help your, you know, beauty sleep and you look better in the morning. So I think all of these things, you have to look at what you see and then you have to connect the dots to look at the implications and, all, and also talk to other smart people in the room. Pauline and Kat, I know that you're constantly talking to the, the consumer. What about other work that you're doing to evaluate the industry and what's happening in the marketplace? Yeah, it's interesting. I love the the classic Ford quote as like if I asked them what they'd want, they'd want a faster horse, you know, versus a car. And it, it's so true because we do listen to our consumers, but we don't always list we don't always use them to figure out the solution. We listen them to them deeply to figure out the, their problems. And I think a lot of times you see these like Frankenstein products that consumers have actually solved for themselves, but they don't necessarily know what's what's um available if if we asked our consumers day one when we were starting ritual if they wanted a more expensive multivitamin they would have said absolutely not and ritual would have wouldn't have existed but we realized that people deserve to know what they're putting in their body they were they had to become their own advocates for safety and efficacy how do we help them and empower them and provide them transparent information to make the best choices for their health and that's where we fit in and so it's really, like you said, it's really deeply listening to them, but then figuring out really innovative solutions to solve their problems. And I would say the same is true on the marketing side. One thing we saw was that, um, and, and when we think about marketing, we don't think about campaigns or launching products. We think about changing culture. And I think that's a really powerful thought that drives everything that we do. For our pregnancy, when we launched our prenatal vitamin, we, it wasn't our first product that we launched, even though it came out of a personal need. We saw that half of people were not taking a, a prenatal when they were um, before they were pregnant, and yet a lot of the neural tube development happens in the first few weeks. People are going to their OB and, and they were pregnant, and they're like, "Oh, you got to take a prenatal." And we're like, "Wow, that's so interesting." And so, how did how do we shift the culture to, to actually get people to take a prenatal before they're pregnant? So we launched a campaign of thinking, trying when it's time, and. As a technology company, we employ a lot of engineers and have our own software. We can now see that more than half of our customers, about 60%, are in that pre-pregnancy phase. So we've been able to actually shift culture through marketing. Um, and so that that's something that I think comes both from data listening, intuition, emotional <laughs> intelligence, and, and emotionally driven decisions as well. That's also my favorite quote. Um, because it actually is so true and has driven what we've done at Radical Science. Because at the end of the day, people don't want to, I mean, clinical trials have been very expensive, very slow, so people couldn't access it. So it's not like people wanted clinical trials. What do they want? They wanted clinical proof out of it. Is there a better way to go there? Well, five years ago, there wasn't, but today there is. So it's also listening, understanding, and leveraging the newest technologies to address what's missing. We call that category creation. It's not our term, but that's known. So that you don't have a faster horse, you have a car. And that's how you change the world. Really interesting to hear that process and how all those, those different aspects of interpreting the data, both industry and consumer, could come together to create a really leading edge product. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. And you talked about shifting culture. And you're looking at that as culture overall out there. Let's take it into our companies and talk about culture shift or what culture looks like at Ritual and Radical Science. It came up on night one at the CEO dinner. Everyone talked about culture and how important it was to the fabric of their company. So what's the culture like at Ritual? Yeah, the, the culture of Ritual is very transparent. The company's focused on traceability. So I think something that's always guided me is is what we're marketing is that connected to what, how we are internally and our practices internally. And I think inside out, outside in is um, the best way for any organization to be. And transparency has always been the fundamental piece of our, of our organization, sharing everything from financials to how we're making decisions to when we mess up as an organization is really, has really been key. I think most recently we both got, we're finalists in the Fast Company most innovative um, workplace award. And, and I, a lot of that comes from how do we make decisions 
And and how do you educate your team about why you made the decisions that you that you have? Because it's not always it's not always hockey stick, right? Hopefully it is. In our case, um, well, we call ourselves rebels with a cause uh, because we're in a mission to change healthcare, disrupt the old ways, and really create a movement for proven personalized treatments for all for all future generations. Um, I wear a dog tag, not because I was in the military, because this is literally, we all have one. It says behind Rebel Co-Chief, along with Jeff, we are here to actually change it. So our culture is one of audacity, really challenging the status quo. It's also about being purpose-driven. We're a B Corp. We're here to change it. We're on a mission to elevate the industry. Um, and of course, also being evidence-driven because we get there through science and by being transparent about it. So a lot of similarities um, even though with a name like Radical Science, you can imagine there's a bit of that radical in us as well. I feel like you're both very old in how you run your businesses. Do you think that that's an accurate assessment? I I, I don't try to be bold, but I try to be authentic. And, and I think it's important to believe in what you say and, and genuinely feel it in your bones. And so I think that might come across as bold or, or visionary. But um, I think it's because it's authentic. I, a lot of the challenges and problems that we're solving are challenges and problems that I've experienced myself as a millennial mom of three little girls. Um, and so I, I like to take that into how, how not only how we run the company, but how we treat our employees, our parental leave, all the policies that we have. Um, it, I think it's a kind of a more of a human approach. The, the word, I mean, I guess we could be closer bold, but I, I'm with you. It's being authentic. Um, my One of my other uh, favorite quotes is from Roosevelt. It's about being the man or woman in the arena. It's about being there and fighting and not being a spectator who's commenting. So I think by being in the game, you appear to be bold because you actually chose to act. So I think that's who we are as entrepreneurs, as fellow entrepreneurs. It's uh, You're excited by the challenge. I loved what you said about it. it's not a challenge at the same time it's an opportunity versus like, oh God, this is hard. If it were hard, you know, uh, like the reason we're doing it is because it was a solve before and because we believe we can do it. And I think that's the commonality among many of us for entrepreneur series that there's a belief in us, in our teams and our vision and the need to actually do it and believing that we're the ones to do it. So it's pretty exciting. I think started just building off of that because <laughs> it's very inspiring. Um, one of our one of our one of our biggest values as, at Ritual is embracing the no's. Um, just because someone says no means it just hasn't been done before. I think even entering this industry, like neither of us, I didn't come from the supplement industry. I was an investor in tech. Um, you know, some people in this room didn't want to work with me, and then ended up being our manufacturers. <laughs> um, and have been incredible partners. But it was really hard to break through, and and we kind of used that as challenges. You know, that that to try to shape this new industry, whether it was listing all of our suppliers on our site or investing in clinical studies. Um, people thought that stuff was crazy and it just means that it hasn't been done before. It is crazy, but where do us to do it? <laughs> I still say it's bold, <laughs> which is great <laughs> and so important and fearless, as I mentioned earlier. Okay, I want to break out the, well, my modified crystal ball question, which is, what would we want the industry to look like in 10 years, Pauline? Um, Tom and I both um, love Dr. Diamandis, who happens to be an advisor to us as well. And uh, he talks about, you know, longevity obviously is one of the key themes and we talked about a lot here. So, um, and I think longevity only is relevant if you have a good health span. It's not about lifespan, it's about health span. So the way I look at it is how do we figure out for each of our very unique bodies and conditions, the best way to live well, wellness, not sick care, and uh, get that at a personalized level and make it affordable to all of us. So creating an abundant future of personalized, proven treatments available to all of us, and that actually drives wellness. And when you actually need sick care because shit happens, that's when you actually go to that. But the rest of the time, focus on wellness and have access to that and know what's going to work for you, for your unique body condition, right here, right now, the time element is also dynamic. So that's what I'm looking forward to is really that that level of personalization. And I believe that's possible with data. Yeah. So I, I, I do think if we were talking 50 years out or 30 years out, I, I do hope this industry... All of the above. Yeah. Want to get there. <laughs> doesn't exist. But I, I think um, for the next 10 years, I'd love to see that women's health and, and need states around women's health are, are way better researched and there's an investment 
on the clinical study side because we can't really develop better products without clinical studies. We can't develop, you know, these products without female-based populations in clinical studies. There also needs to be an investment from the investment community as a former investor around women's health with less than 2% of VC funding going to female-founded companies, which is a drop from the year before. Women need to be starting these companies because they come out of a personal need. And I do believe that that's incredibly powerful. And so we need to be investing in women. We need to be investing in in women needs, female-based need states like pregnancy, postpartum, and menopause, which are not niche when you look together. Women's health is a 60 billion plus opportunity, but individually, sometimes these need states are categorized as niche, yet most of us go through all of them. And I hope that changes because it impacts not just women, but future future generations. We're carrying multiple generations within us at times, and that's pretty powerful. Such a beautiful message and such a great reminder for all of us that, you know, the work that we're doing today is helping to provide solutions, health solutions for generations to come. So thank you both so much. And we're here today with a special guest for the list. It's Bill Giebler, the content Content, content, and <laughs> content and insights director. That was a mouthful. It was for NBJ. I, I, I'm the one who has to say it all the time. Content and insights director for NBJ. Welcome, Bill. You said it really nicely. This is like a reunion, you guys. Like our next finalist announcement reunion. Oh my, oh my goodness! Look at us. Here we are. This is the first time we're not doing it in a while because we will be announcing the next season live at Expo East, but. And I say, look at us, but this is audio only, so you don't get to. But we are bridging the the virtual and the real worlds here, which is nice. We're looking at you, Bill Giebler, on a screen then across the most. That's true. And, and you two are in a room together, and I'm far away. And NBJ Summit had a nice virtual component, right? For those who were not able to join in person, we had some people who were attending virtually. It did, and I think it had pretty nice engagement. I mean, it's a hard one because... NBJ Summit is so amazing in person. It's at a beautiful place and there's all these bodies and minds moving around and they're all on the same track doing the same thing at the same time and the conversations are amazing. And, uh, but for virtual, we had all the content was up on virtual and, and it's good content. Yeah, great content. And, and Bill, definitely like, I didn't talk about how beautiful the surrounding was, but we're at the Teradea. It's gorgeous and so many great connections. And one of the things that happens there that's always really exciting is the announcement of the NBJ Award winners, which happens at our awards dinner and one of those really nice opportunities to be together. So we want you to to share a few of those and tell us a little bit first about what those awards are. I can't help but do that part because it's really one of my favorite things that NBJ does. I honestly don't know how long NBJ has been doing this, but um, you know the company's the brand is over a quarter century old, and we've been doing NBJ awards for longer than I've been part of it, quite quite substantially longer. And it's a it's a nomination process, but it's not limited to a nomination process. We engage our editorial advisory board and all of our I mean a lot of our relationships in the community and ask like who should we be honoring in these ten categories. Uh, we have 10 categories that we look at from leadership and growth to sustainability and philanthropy, mission, science and innovation and all of that stuff. And and we pick those. It's hard. I can't even imagine how hard it must be given that you had such a hard time even deciding which companies you were going to talk about on this talk. <laughs> I was going to say you picked 10 and then, you, and then we're making you pick five to talk about. We're only giving you time for five. So, Bill, in no particular order. Number one. Um, Wish Garden Herb, oh, a 35 to 40 year old herbal company based out of Boulder, Colorado. A lot of people know Wish Garden from the really fun, I mean, kick-ass immune, uh, great marketing. And they they keep it up now with products like Emotional Ally and Party Prep and, and Good Integrity. We give them the Supply Chain Integrity Award and just really love what they're doing. They're doing a lot for cult, domestic cultivation of herbs. And we love that, which is why Number two, native botanicals. Edward Fletcher is something of an icon in the herbal side of the community. Uh, probably not a name a lot of people know here, but he's been doing this for 
decades doing what is this? He's been doing a whole bunch of things uh, around wild cultivation of herbs. And, and what a lot of it comes down to for Ed is taking care of the people. Uh, sustainability of herbs is sustainability of an economic, uh, you know, the economic needs of the people who are doing this. And so that's first and foremost for Ed these days. And his native botanicals is about bringing into cultivation a lot of the herbs that have been traditionally wild cultivated. So cool stuff. And what I love about that is like getting those, these people on stage, Catherine Unziker from Wish Garden calls herself an old hippie and, uh, uh, and it's a love and the passion for what's going on there is so is so fun to see. Number three, Nuritas. Uh, it's such like so different now. I like like we're going in the opposite direction, you know, like crazy shift here. But using AI to do something that would truly be impossible, it's not a time saver. She said something like, "If they did this, like with a million people." It would take 80 million years or something. I'm getting the numbers wrong, but you get the idea. It's it's ridiculous. And they're finding peptides in in substances, in food substances that uh, are, are fascinating and are very promising ingredients for dietary supplements and foods and, and pharmaceuticals as well. So really fascinating stuff using AI. All right. Going back to plants and soil, doTERRA. Uh, what a cool company doTERRA is. And they're kind of outside of our industry because they're direct, well, they're a multi-level marketing organization, but a lot of people know doTERRA, super high quality essential oils, and a deep commitment to the communities where they're sourcing those oils. I wrote about doTERRA several years ago, and I just loved what they were talking about with um, normally essential oils, they're grown and they're, they're, the plant materials are, are sold as a commodity and shipped halfway around the world and turned into essential oils. Perfectly fine model, but what doTERRA is trying to do, and is doing, is providing the equipment for distillation right there in the village and they're turning them into essential oils right there in the village creating deeper opportunities for employment at the source which is a really cool philanthropic effort and they're doing more than that too but i'm sure i'm talking more than i'm supposed to and the fifth company to talk about and again these aren't in any rank and it's and, nothing above the other five companies and organizations but okay and the last company i want to talk about and again these are not particularly in order gainful wonderful company really exciting company started by two college kids college athletes who saw an opportunity to create product that just wasn't on the market and they created a category which is personalized sports nutrition and now they've turned it into an opportunity to actually get on shelf they've partnered with Target and they're taking this personalized concept and um, finding it a bit and putting it on retail shelf. So it's really fun to see what's coming out of Gainful too. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I think that does a great job of, of showing what these awards are all about. Five really incredible, diverse companies, yeah. but all representing different aspects of the supplement and nutrition industry and really raising the bar around integrity and innovation. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And thanks for having me. This is fun. You know what's good for your health? Supplements. You know what else is good for your health? The Naturalist. And you know what's going to be really good for your health? Liking and subscribing to it. You're welcome. Want to be on The Naturalist? Send us an email at thenaturalist at newhope.com.